Well, good morning, everyone. If you would please turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we will be in verse 7 today, only verse 7 in Ephesians, but many other texts in the rest of the Word. It has been a wonderful couple of weeks. We were at VBS and then summer camp. We had a fantastic time. I love being at that camp because they do a lot of the work. I even took an afternoon nap, which I realize I'm now old enough to actually do. <laughs> and uh, very, very enjoyable, wonderful time up there. Ephesians verse 1, verse 7, we have a lot that Paul has packed into this little verse. In fact, he has a little three-act structure here, not unlike a play or a film. And if you're ready, I'm going to read from verse 7. In him, him being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you now, Lord, that there is redemption possible for us, that there is forgiveness possible for us today, Lord, wretched, conceived in sin, workers of iniquity. Lord, you speak yourself of the wide gate that many go through and the narrow little path that few walk. Lord, why people such as we, sinners such as we, Lord, redeemed worthy. What was it, Lord, that you looked down and saw that you thought was savable? Lord, I believe and understand from your word that there was nothing to look down on that was savable. Instead, Lord, you looked to your right hand. You turned to the equal one and said, you must go. And that equal one said, I will. I am willing. Your will, not mine, be done. We thank you, Lord, and in this we pray. Amen. Amen. It is often uh, uh, criticized of God that blood is required for sin. In fact, even Christians have asked, why couldn't God have just forgiven us without killing Jesus? Why did he have to die on the cross? Why was such a payment necessary? And the reason, and I'll answer shortly, and then I'll answer in depth as I move through, blood is life, and you cannot have life without blood. We see this amongst ourselves. We see this in our womankind, who has a menstrual cycle that allows her to give birth to children. We see the issues of blood when we lose it, and depending on how much you lose, can actually decide whether you continue to live or not. Blood pressure rises and falls. Your veins harden or loosen. Your heart eventually, I had a man tell me this morning about an inmate at a prison just fall over and die on the way to chow because of his heart. Blood is life itself. You can live without a lot of things, but you cannot live without your blood. That's why we donate it. That's why we turn it into plasma. That's why we send it overseas and send it with our soldiers because without it, there is not life. So blood now is the payment that God requires for sin because sin is the antithesis of life. Sin is death and death only. The requirement of atonement for your sin and my sin is the blood of a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, this took place in the temple in the form of bulls and goats and doves and what you could afford. And you were measured by the quality of your sacrifice. So if you could not afford a better one, then that meant your forgiveness was not as good as someone else may have gotten. Can you imagine such a system? Can you imagine your salvation 
based around a system that is not unlike our credit system today. We have young people finding out that, hey, it's good to have no credit rather than bad credit, but you don't have what we like to call credit history, which we say means you could pay it back, but what we actually want to know is how much money do you have to pay it back? So you've got to generate some history so we know you can actually pay us. Can you imagine God treating you in such a manner? Your righteous works actually would count for salvation? Better get to it? Can you imagine living under such a system? You're all free Americans. You're about to celebrate this Tuesday. You'd rebel. That's not unlike a tax on tea. That spun the whole thing off in this country in the first place. You wouldn't live under that. You couldn't. And God, being merciful, knows you can't. The blood of animal sacrifices is and was only but a placeholder to the perfect blood of Christ. And why? His blood was untainted by sin through the virgin birth. The only blood to be perfect and without the stain of sin that every other blood has. Our blood from Adam and Eve has sin. What does Romans say? Death spread to all men. What is death but sin personified? See, there's a heresy spreading in cultural Christianity that says some people, they're born without sin. They don't need Jesus. They don't need to be saved. They're better than you. And you know why this heresy is so dangerous? Because it's so easy for the flesh to grab hold and believe. Yeah, I am pretty good. I am better than those other people. Thanks, God. Now I'm going to continue to sin and practice wickedness, but without even the law hanging over me. Only, only, only Jesus Christ had blood that did not have sin. That's why he has to be born of a virgin. He was the only one, virgin born, so the only one without the sin conceived in iniquity. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. The great author of Hebrews, which, as we often like to joke, is unnamed. Many people think it's Barnabas. Many people think it's Apollos. And, you know, I'm sad that they're all so wrong. You know. I'm of the opinion that it is Paul, but not the way we think. Because it's actually, the more Greek I learned, it's not his language. It's not his writing. It's Luke's. And if you look at... Luke and Acts and then Hebrews, they're so, so similar. Luke traveled with Paul on one of the missionary journeys. I think this was a sermon preached by the Apostle Paul that Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record. That's what I think. That's why it doesn't start the way Paul starts letters, because he didn't start sermons that way, but it ends the way Paul ended his letters. And I'm the same way. I'm terrible with sermon beginnings. Like that, I just have to launch right into it because otherwise I feel like I have to tell jokes and do a little, you know, song and dance up here. But I'm better with endings, much better with endings. And, and, and I think Paul would agree. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come through the greater and more perfect tent. Now, this is a reference to the wilderness tabernacle tent, not the physical temple later built in Jerusalem, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So he's saying, you did not build this temple. You can't build this temple. If your dirty, wicked, 
hands of iniquity touch this temple, it would be tainted. So it's unbuilt. It is unmade by human hands. It is a spiritual temple. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy place. Think about the crucifixion. What splits from top to bottom? Someone other than Dr. Thomas over there. That's cheating if he says it. Come on, bunch of Christians. Come on now. What split? The curtain. Where's the curtain at? Y'all didn't expect to be quizzed this morning, did you? But I've been gone. I've been gone for a week. Got to get back to it. The, the curtain in the Holy of Holies splits from God's point of view, top to bottom. Not a man down at the bottom trying to tear it. But God splits it. And by the way, this wasn't like a t-shirt. This was a thick piece of material that only God could do. Only God could split. So God splits it. Why? Because now the Holy of Holies is laid bare. No longer the special reserved room that only certain people can go into. Now God is open. Come hither, come to the holy place. Jesus has made it possible on the cross. No longer does Mount Sinai thunder, and if you touch it, you'll die. Now you can come. Now you can come. He entered once for all, over and done with. No longer do we have to offer sacrifices of animal blood. Not by the means the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. That's interesting, isn't it? We jumped from the Old and New Testament, from the blood of calves to the blood of the risen Savior. Think about that for a second. That's a jump in quality, isn't it? Remember the quality of sacrifices? I can't afford that perfect lamb. All I got is this spotted one. But now... Now the lamb that I have, the lamb provided, the lamb that is saving me the same way it saved Isaac from the knife in Abraham's hand, is now saving me. See, there's a theme running through the Bible the entire way. <laughs> if, oh, I'm still in verse 12. Thus securing an eternal redemption. What's the name of our series? The eternal purpose. What's the eternal purpose? Redemption. Salvation. No longer being a worshiper of yourself, but Christ. That's the deal. That's Christianity. That's what we're pitching here. That's what separates me from a timeshare guy. Think about it. It's kind of similar if you're not preaching the true gospel, right? Church kind of turns into a timeshare. Hey, come hang out. Get some free stuff. Share the rooms and spaces with other people. Sometimes they'll leave it a mess and you'll have to clean it up. <laughs> oh, well, we have something else coming in. You got to get out. <laughs> what separates us from everything else? Redemption. Eternal redemption. Jesus Christ offering himself for you and I. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, if the Old Testament worked, if it did all that stuff, if it actually gave forgiveness. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ? How much more? Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blame. Who did he offer it to? Not to you. Not to me. He offered himself without blemish to God. Who purified our conscience.
from dead works to serve the living God. Christ is without blemish. How much more is his sacrifice than any other? See, there's something we have to do, ladies and gentlemen. We have to reject, abolish, and dare I say deconstruct the cultural Christianity chains that are wrapped around us. And you know what they are. Oh, just go along to get along. Bless their heart. Just be nice. Don't, don't say anything. And what happens when we do that? People die and go to hell. Because we're not being truthful with the gospel. We're not saying, hey, I love you, and I'm not here to, to actually judge you or condemn you or criticize you or convict you or anything else, but I got to tell you about my Savior. Because he's the only one who can purify you. He's the only one that can clean that conscience. How much more will the blood of Christ be without blemish purified? These chains that are wrapped around us in this country, this, this blessing God has given us in this nation of relative freedom and relative lack of wars, ever since 1812, no foreign invader has been here, only terrorists and very small limited attacks. We've been blessed which leads to complacency sometimes. It leads to everything's great, or even worse. Things just ain't like they used to be. You know why you've never heard a kid say that? You know why a six-year-old has never said, things just were a lot better when I was two. <laughs> Cookie jar always full, mom never smacked my hand, it was great. Now I'm seven and I gotta work. <laughs> gotta do chores. They don't say that. Only, only we say that because we miss the freedom of our childhoods. And we want to get back to it. Instead of, a, of grabbing hold of the better freedom, the eternal freedom of being a child in God's kingdom. Being in that childhood. I used to know an old man named Ed Box, died recently. Ed grew up in an orphanage, had to raise his younger siblings. Uh, Dad and I used to joke camping with Ed because he was so nuts some, sometimes that he was living his second childhood because he didn't get a first one. And he would do things like, uh, we would camp, but he wouldn't camp near us because he'd be like, y'all go and set your tents on fire. I'm going over here. He'd be over there with a bag catching air to blow up his air mattress. His air mattress! He'd be over there with fuzzy slippers on eating milk and Wheaties, dehydrated, milky, rehydrated. He was so cool. Like, you just wanted to be him. And he's living that second childhood. And now he really is, because he's passed on and gone into glory. And he's living a second childhood with God. He is a child in God's kingdom, which, by the way, Jesus said you must be or you're not going to enter God's kingdom. There are no adults in the kingdom of heaven. There's only fathers and children. Isn't that awesome? This purity purifies our conscience. We can know that God is no longer pouring wrath upon us because in Christ we are freed and dead from dead works and made alive to serve Him and worship Him. Notice it's in Christ. Another cultural chain we got to get off of us. Just get people in church and everything will be great. doesn't work. We've been trying that for a hundred years now. And it doesn't work. Do you think the culture's gotten better or worse the past 50 years? Be honest. So it hasn't worked. The only thing that does work is being in 
Christ, not in church. Being in Christ, not near Christian people. In Christ. And then everything else falls into place. Church attendance, fellowship, sanctification, everything else. In Christ. We have to be honest about this, folks, when we fail. And it's okay. It is okay to realize that, hey, this area of my life was not exactly in Christ as it could be, or perfected, or better, and it's okay to change. It's okay to admit that. You're not wrong for realizing that, hey, I need to do better in this area. The goal is to bring Him glory forever. Jump down to verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 9. Indeed, everything under the law is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Blood had to be shed, and so Jesus shed his for you. And in so doing, achieved what none of us could do, the satisfaction of God's forgiveness. The martyred missionary Jim Elliot famously said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I read recently, I, I hadn't read this before, that one of the accounts of the actual death of those missionaries was they had a pistol with them, and instead of shooting and killing the tribesmen, they fired into the air in hopes to scare them away. Jim Elliot, they said, died, begging the people not to do this. And the last man died running to the radio to report back to their families what was happening. They died as Christian deaths as they possibly could. Because they understood something, something that we often forget. That this little whisper of a life is nothing. How many times does God compare it to a breath? That which we hold so precious and so dear. And the world has to because it's all they've got. To you and I, it's nothing. It's a moment. It's a blimp. It's nothing. The oldest in here will tell us all how quick it goes by. Turn to Micah chapter 7. So you're going to Micah. I'm just going to reference Ephesians again. We have redemption through his blood. Now, second point, the forgiveness of our sins. Micah. Chapter 7. Little minor prophet, I'll give you an extra minute to get there. Sometimes hidden in there amongst the other minor prophets. Not so named because they're less than, just that they're a lot smaller books. Is everyone there? Micah chapter 7? We're going to be in verse 18. Beautiful language here. Beautiful words by the prophet Micah. Verse 18. Who? is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. I love this language. Who is a God like this? Because every other God requires the payment. They're going to require the death of us. They're going to require what we have. But this God, he pardons it. 
He passes over it. He doesn't retain his anger. He delights instead in steadfast love. So every time you and I delight in our anger, we have to remember that we're doing the opposite of what our God is doing to us. Why do we delight so in anger? Because it justifies us. And we love being hard. I'm right by the rules. I'm going to get my lawyer. I'm going to sue. I'm going to get justice for me and mine. Well, you might. That's fine. Go ahead. But I'm going to stick with my God the best I can, who delights not in anger, but instead in steadfast love. Look at verse 19, because this is what you and I want. He will again have compassion. Again. Again and again and again, God has compassion instead of finally just going, you know what, I'm going to wipe all of you out. I am just done. I am done. That's what you and I do. How often do we say that? I'm done. I'm out. I don't care anymore. Not my problem. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. People love saying that on Facebook. I don't, I don't really get the reference. What's, what's a circus? I don't know. I'm out. I don't care. Not my problem. Except you have a problem. It's when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Which means, ladies and gentlemen, it is in fact your circus and they are your monkeys. I'm glad the Good Samaritan didn't say that. Not my monkey. <laughs> I'm going to keep going on, Jews. <laughs> I'm out of here. Look at verse 19 again. He will have compassion. Again, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. I sort of have an analogy for this, but it is so rare and obscure, I hesitate to bring it up. I'm currently debating right now whether to bring it up. <laughs> Let's go for it, because I think it's a one percenter, but I think it'll work. Anybody remember that old Monty Python TV show? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes they were doing a sketch and they didn't have an ending joke. So a giant foot would just come out of nowhere and just crush the character down. And that was it. They just, they just went on. I love that image because of this. God literally, who uses the earth as what? Footstool. Ah, oh, very good, Bible students. Y'all are on it today. His footstool, what is he crushing? Instead of us who deserve to be crushed, he instead crushes the sin. Where does he take it? Look, now... It would be so easy here, and I did not pick Micah in this verse because of the recent tragedy with the sub that was crushed down there near the Titanic. That's, that's an awful event. People lost their lives. It would be so easy to, to capitalize that. So let's not get your mind away from that. Look what it says. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How deep and unknowable is the love of God. I love the ocean for this reason. I'm going on vacation in two weeks. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> and we have a condo where it faces the beach. So the kids and I, Blair, we're going to go out. We're going to get sunburned and whatnot. We're going to play all day. And then at night, while the kids watch TV and eat popsicles or, or whatever, I sit on the balcony with my sweet tea. Someone laughed. I heard that. <laughs> And I watch the ocean, and I just watch the light just disappear. And I love to look at the ocean because the depths of it, if I tried to immerse myself in it, it would crush me. The power of it, the wind, the waves, 
It's the closest I can physically get to God for me. Standing on the beach to me is like being in Mount Sinai and watching the thunder and the lightning. I can only put my toe in the water. And if I was to do that and go, yep, I understand everything about the ocean. That's what I would be doing to God. Simply reading one of his Bible verses and going, yep, figured it out. I know God. I want to be deep. I want to be immersed. But here's the problem. And i got to tie a couple of analogies here together, so bear with me. Stick with me. God delights in loving us with unchanging love. Christians, stop letting the hatred of the world crush you. It is hate that will be forgotten. Hate and sin are going to lose. Love is going to win. Our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. What happens at the bottom of the sea? They're crushed. The depth crushes anything not equal to the pressure. Our sin is not equal to the love of God. It's going to be crushed. And I love this, but here's the problem. You don't get ready for the pressure down at the bottom of the sea. And here's the problem we do in church. Everybody wants to be deep. And that sounds really good when you say that in small group or church. I want to be deep. I want the meat of the word. Give it to me. Meanwhile, Paul's the one who said, y'all are not ready. Isn't that a great verse that we think is really about other people? The promises of salvation, those are all for me. But when Paul said, I'm a child who needs milk, <laughs> Corinthians, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I'm so much smarter and better looking than they were. <laughs> He's talking about us. We're the ones who need milk. We're the ones who are not ready. Where do you get ready for the pressure? Not in the depths, but on the surface. On the surface. That's where you're trained. That's where you're sanctified. That's where you're discipled. That's where you're saved. And then, when God is ready, He'll take you down into some depths. And He'll put you under pressure. Our sin is not equal to the love of God. When God is ready and He pushes you down to those depths and it starts to squeeze in on you, what's going to happen? In Christ... You will not be crushed. Only your sin will be crushed. Jonathan Edwards said, this is kind of a long quote, There in heaven, this infinite fountain of love, this eternal three-in-one, is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it as it flows forever. There this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory, in beams of love. There this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, yea, in rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love, in which the souls of the ransom may bathe with the sweetest enjoyment, and their hearts, as it were, be deluged with love. C.S. Lewis said this about God's love. He loved us not because we are lovable, but because He is love. Go to Titus chapter 3. Christian, I don't know when the pressure is coming for you. I suggest you start training and discipling yourself to be ready for it. But when it comes, if you are in Christ, you will not be crushed. Instead, you will be sanctified. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 5, and we're going to finish up here. 
This is referencing my third and final point, Ephesians 1.7. Why are we getting forgiveness of sins? It is according to the riches of his grace. Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 in whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Can I give you another analogy? This one's about food. I've been eating low sodium, and it's awful. Everything good has salt in it. I used to think sugar was where it was at. It's salt. Oh, man, salt. I'm thinking about it right now. And so I've been eating low sodium food. 1,500 milligrams goes nowhere with salt. It's like two shakes. It's nothing. So I, be, I made this recipe, all right? I have this really low-salt recipe. I get pineapple juice, Dijon mustard. You didn't know you were going to get a good recipe in church today. Dijon mustard, minced garlic, and honey. And you whisk all that up, okay? Then you get your choice of rice. I like brown or jasmine. Then you get some grilled chicken, some pineapple chunks. You put the chicken and the pineapple and the rice all cooked in a bowl, and then you pour that delicious sweet nectar of the Lord. Over. And on the days I don't have to count the salt content, I can pour it richly. God doesn't have to count your sin content to pour richly upon you His grace. Verse 7, so that being justified by this grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There are two forms of currency in this world, the dollars and cents that we have placed so much value and the riches of God's grace. Grace is the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness that that sacrifice brings for wretched, undeserving, unrepentant, unsaved human beings who are then saved, sanctified, glorified. This is you and I, not worthy, not able, not ready to experience God, but God came anyway. The sun came down anyway. Martin Luther said about this, uh, said this about grace. The grace of God is very great, strong and mighty and an active thing. It does not lie asleep in the soul. Grace hears, leads, drives, draws, changes, works in every man and lets itself be distinctly felt and experienced. It is hidden, but its works are not evident. John Newton, in his great song, said this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Aidan Wilson Tozer, better known as A.W. Tozer, said this, Men may flee from the sunlight to darken musty caves of the earth, but they cannot put out the sun. So any who despise the grace of God, they cannot extinguish it. And this next quote is from me. Redemption is in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, and is our only hope of eternal life. Christian, don't put it in anything else. Don't trust in anyone else. Don't put it in any church cultural thing. 
Don't put it in any hope of your works. Don't have any hope whatsoever in anything, any person, anywhere, anyone who is not the Lord Jesus. He is the bringer of this rich grace. That little recipe I described to you, if you think that tastes good, and you do want to try it now, don't you? I'm going to give that a try. If you have not yet experienced the riches of my Savior's grace, please, please call on him today. Ask him today, Lord, I'm missing out. I'm eating dried MREs over here. I need you. Call upon my Lord Jesus. He himself said, with much graciousness, any who come to me, I will not cast out. Call on him today. I'm going to pray for you. If that's you today, I want you to pray. And if you're already a believer today, just enjoy that riches. Enjoy that meal that God cooks up for you every day. The richness of his grace. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that there is richness for me today. There is graciousness for me today. There is power in the Spirit for me today because, because I've trusted in Jesus Christ. Because He is the one glorified in my life. He is the one responsible for my good works. He is the one who has made me able to worship God. Lord, I need Him. I need Him every hour. And if there be someone here right now who has not yet called upon Him, Lord, I beg them to do so. I have no other words of convincing that I can use. All I can do now is trust the Holy Spirit to blow where it wishes, as Jesus said in John 3. Lord, if there be someone here, I pray your Spirit would fall upon them. I pray it would change their heart and they would start to enjoy the rich meal that is served at the table of God. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I give you the glory. And in your name we all pray. Amen.